Hey, it's the Graveyard Girls. We'll do things a bit different this week because we've got some feedback. So we're thinking maybe one case a week. Yeah. And then go into two cases a week on two two separate days. Yeah, I think that works. We're just sort of experimenting with it at the moment. Yeah, because um, we think time-wise it might be a bit long for some listeners. Yeah, So, but we really liked the idea of us telling each other a case each week. Yeah. Um, and we didn't want to get rid of that dynamic because that was an it's sort of the feedback from obviously different people and yeah, so yeah. contradicted some people are like oh it's a bit too long mm-hmm. i'd rather have it a bit more bite-sized but then other people are like no we really like that you present a case to each other and you get a good conversation so i think we're going to try and do like you said a case just one this week um and then release the next one the following week we'll see how that goes but then maybe after that we might have two sort of episodes a week so it's still only one case in each episode but it gives us that opportunity to present a case to each other every week yeah and then we can like chat a little bit before and after the case yeah so you can get to know us a bit more yeah i think that's good as well and especially as we've gone on there's a couple of episodes that we've got where the cases are quite big quite long yeah yeah so it it gives us it it means we're not quitting out a lot of what we said because i think especially when you look at the couple of cases we've already done We've got quite good theories and quite lengthy yeah. theories, and I think that's where we've struggled a bit with the editing. Is we didn't want to just cut it out, no, because it it ruins it. And I think we've got quite a few good ideas, um, but obviously you don't want like a ten hour episode. <laughs> um, no, we can do a series, and that's it. And I think because I think the original plan was obviously we'd have these episodes where we did a case each, mm-hmm. and then we would have many episodes as a separate. But obviously we haven't release any of those yet so at the moment it's just big bulky episodes yeah and i'm not sure if it's maybe putting some people off Mm -hmm. which obviously we don't want to do we'd like to gain interest rather than uh, put people off well yeah we value all your feedback that's it and we've had some absolutely brilliant feedback already like we we genuinely weren't expecting this much already no um with especially the first episode that picked up a lot more views very quickly than we were expecting yeah, which was, God, that was amazing. a massive relief because i think we we're a bit worried we were like two weeks in and it's like not even had five views but no it's been way more than that and we're like thank you for listening it is it's been really really good um mm. but it, it is it's helped us as well yeah like i said all this different bits of feedback it's lots of other people's perspective like with how we are in the cases yeah um it's a lot of perspective but there's some crossover so hopefully we can fix all the little bits well not necessarily fix but it's the learning journey yeah we'll gonna... try different things out so. yeah we're going to improve as we go along yeah we're gonna find experiment. What... yeah we're going to find what works for us yeah and everyone else hopefully so yeah let's jump in today's case then yes i'm covering a mystery that started the original idea off with my best friend It's somewhat solved slash unsolved. That's why I couldn't say it. (laughs) As there's no concrete proof of the final theory of what happened. I'm going to say it's kind of solved. However, the lead Soviet investigation closed the case. Therefore, law enforcement see it as case closed. Okay. But you feel it's not. No, it's not. Okay. Okay. Have you ever heard of Dyatlov Pass? Yes, no, I've recognised the name, but I couldn't think of the case in particular off the top of my head. Okay. In February 1955, a group of hikers disappeared in the remote Ural Mountains of Western Siberia. Okay. A search party found their tent weeks later, abandoned along with all of their equipment. Frozen bodies were found 1,500 metres away, 
mysteriously undressed for the weather conditions. I think I might vaguely remember this case yeah. now, yeah. So most weren't wearing shoes, gloves or socks. Some were just in their sleeping clothes. Oh, okay. So one theory is that, okay, this is what my friend's theory is, that they were having sex and then just decided to run out of the tent because they're drunk. Right, okay. No. It's not, no. You wouldn't do that. No, well, no, you wouldn't. No. Oh, where did that theory come from? Is that just one that was plucked out of thin air? I don't know. I think he's just like, they're naked, so therefore... They must be having sex. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't make sense to me, but yeah. No, I don't, no. I'm my, not rolling with that one yet. I think my friend's theory is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, I'll continue. Um, right, I'll talk about the trauma and the injuries that happened to the hikers later on. But first of all, I want to talk about these people, not for what they're known for, which is the, obviously the trauma and what happened to them. Okay. So I'll give a little bit, a tiny bit of background of these people. So in 1959, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in some mountain range in Soviet Union. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Urals, but that is fine. Igor Dyatlov was a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Ural Polytechnical Institute and was the leader who assembled the group of eight others for the trip. So that's like a university, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, okay most of whom were fellow students and peers at the same university. Each member of the group, which consisted of seven men and two women, were experienced grade two hikers with ski tour experience and would have received their grade three certification on return of this expedition. So they're not complete experts, but they're not also novices either. They've done a bit of this before. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, what grade two, what you have to do for grade two, let alone grade three. So, no yeah, idea. so I'd probably think they've got a relative amount of experience. They're just maybe not complete experts. But then, like I said, they're not novices, are they? No. So, like, they're not done it before. No. At the time, this was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union and required candidates to travel. Oh, sorry, candidates to traverse three hundred kilometers, which is about one hundred and ninety miles. Okay. So that's far. Yeah. That's from like here to London almost. Okay. The route was designed by Dia. Dyatlov's group to reach the northern regions of the Oblast and the upper streams of the Lozvar River. The goal of the expedition was to reach Otorton, a mountain that was 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles north of the site where the incident occurred. Okay. So that's quite, it's not too far from where, so they almost made it. Okay, this route was undertaken in February and estimated as a category three the most difficult time to traverse so if they waited a little bit longer in the season it would have been easier i guess okay, so they probably wanted quite a challenge didn't they yeah i mean if they're trying to do it so they get their grade three certificates it's probably another reason why they're going at that time quite possibly yeah it might have been as well there wasn't other people around maybe because other people would have maybe been put off by that time of year do you true think? is that a possibility i'd say so i wouldn't want to go skiing in february maybe i don't know because it's siberia it's going to be bad weather all the time i imagine on the 23rd of january 1959 the dyatlov group was issued their route book which listed their course as following the number five trail the dyatlov group left the city that same day okay here's some names i'm gonna mispronounce (laughs) okay the group consisted of igor dyatlov 
Yuri Doroshenko, Ludimilia Dubinina, Yuri Kravishenko, Alexander Kolvatov, Zenaida Komogorov, Rustem Slobindin, <laughs> Nikolai Thibault Brinol, and Alexander Zoratolyov. Okay. I don't know why I'm giggling because I couldn't pronounce these either. So Zoratolyov. Zoratolyov. I should have just done it with a Russian accent. <laughs> Diaries and cameras found around their last campsite made it possible to track the group's route up until the day preceding the incident. Right, okay. On January 31st, the group arrived at the edge of the highland area and began to prepare for climbing. In a wooded valley, they cached surplus food equipment that would be used for the trip back. The next day, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seems they planned to get over the pass and make up camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because of the worsening weather conditions, snowstorms and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction, deviated west towards the top of the mountain that I can't pronounce. They then realised their mistake. The group decided to set up camp there on the slope of the mountain rather than move about a mile downhill in the forested area, which would have offered them more shelter. Okay. It is theorised that Dyatlov didn't want to lose any altitude the group had gained, which is why they decided to camp in the slightly unusual area of the mountain slope. Okay. So where they camped, it was quite steep. It's not a normal camping place. Okay, so it's not sheltered, but I suppose there maybe well, there's an element they might have been more, a bit worried if they'd gone further down, would it have worsened the conditions and they would have been better off where they were previously? Yeah. Because I suppose that's something you've got to consider, really, isn't it? Maybe we weren't there, but... I mean, I prefer to camp in the trees rather than on a slope. I would, but if they're already concerned about like how much the weather's worsened, I know it says only a mile, but if it if the weather is already rapidly decreasing in a very short period of time and they worried it would like get even worse in that other mile and they'd lose even more. You know, if they're going maybe slightly downhill. Yeah. And it's changing pretty quickly where they're thinking actually we're best to just stay put where we are. True. Then yeah. continue moving and maybe lose more track. Yeah. Because they've already deviated from where they were originally going. So maybe it's a case if we don't want to get lost anymore, so we don't get lost stay anymore, just, just stay. Don't stay go anywhere here. else. Yeah. Especially if they can't tell which direction they're going. Yeah, I think, like I said, as much as trees might offer more shelter, I would be conscious of the fact I don't want to deviate even more, so maybe staying where I am might be better. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But I've never been in this condition. Well, no, so, yeah. I, so I'm so, just going to roll with that. <laughs> I'm sure they're yeah, more experienced than us, and therefore we have no input in this situation yeah. we just well like, we can only speculate can't yeah. we so why, why are they par- parking why are they camping on a mountain yeah we can't offer anything for all we know they could have been in worse experiences before and yeah. other things that they've done so they actually felt quite comfortable in what they were doing before leaving Dyatlov agreed that he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group returned to Vizhai I think that's how you pronounce it it was expected this would not happen no later than 12 Sorry, the 12th of February, but Dyatlov had told Yudin, who was an original member of the group, but he didn't continue because he was ill. Yeah, he expected it was going to be longer than that. When the 12th passed and no message had been received, there was no immediate reaction, as delays over a few days were common and expected. On the 20th of February, the traveller's relatives demanded a rescue operation, and head of the institute sent the first rescue groups consisting of volunteers, students and teachers. 
Later, the army and police became involved with planes and helicopters ordered to join the operation. So obviously, they're important. They're being searched for. Yeah, someone's looking for them. Yeah. On the 26th of February, the searchers found the group's abandoned and badly damaged tent on that same slope. Sorry, what date was that? 26th of Feb. Okay, so this is quite long after they're claiming, like, it follows from where their last diary entry is, isn't it? Yeah. So, there's expected to have some confirmation on or around about the 12th, and then on the 20th of February, that's when people started looking, and then they were found, well, items were found on the 26th of Feb. So it's surprising, really, that the stuff actually lasted. I know that it's saying, like, the worsening weather conditions. They've done well that the stuff actually kind of remained. Or is that part of the... <laughs> if, I, if I ruined the ending? There are some things that remain, oh, and right, then okay. some things that mysteriously slash not mysteriously disappear. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll let you continue. <laughs> okay, the campsite baffled the search party. Mikhail Sharaven, the student who found the tent, said the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes were left behind. Right, okay. Investigators said the tent had been cut from the inside out. See, this is the bit I remember from something I've read before. Nine set of footprints left by people wearing only socks or single shoes or even barefoot could be followed, leading down to the edge of a nearby wood on the opposite side of the pass, about less than a mile to the northeast. After 500 metres, these tracks were covered with snow. At the forest edge, under a large Siberian pine, searchers found visible remains of a small fire. This is where the bodies of Kravishenko and Doroshenko were found. Curiously, they were only wearing underwear, no footwear. Right, okay. It was minus 30. Right, okay. I have a few theories in my head already turning around about this one. Okay, tell me some theories. Okay, first of all, I'm questioning if the the men, you've already mentioned there's more snow covering mm-hmm. the rest of the bodies. Why didn't it cover up the footprints? Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know when people sometimes look and die on the hypothermia, they actually strip off because yes. they think they're hot. Yes, I've, that that's for me. My, that's in my notes. Yes. Yeah, I've met, I've read about this in other cases of other deaths. Yep. And that's how people actually die of hypothermia because yeah. they strip off yeah, thinking they get they're hot. hot. Yeah, they get hot. That's in my notes. That's not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, at least we're on the same track with this one. Yes. Hold on. Yeah, continue. Um, so, yeah, so that mixed with the footprints. I'm a bit concerned. How did they know the footprints were only made in socks? If the bodies had been covered by snow, how were the footprints not covered by snow? I found it I found it paradoxical undressing. Oh, there we go. That's what it's called. Paradoxical undressing is disorientated hypothermia, and they remove their clothes because they think they're burning. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I had read about this in other cases. Yeah. So I've watched a few too many crime documentaries, I think. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so minus 30. But your other theory, the wind might have blown some of that and covered some of that. Right, okay. See. I still don't feel like how after all that amount of time it could preserve a footprint. Because you think like in other cases, I know this is slightly different weather conditions, Yeah. but you think on a lot of things, even something as simple as a bit of rain can distort footprints yeah. and things like that. So how, because we're talking this is like half a month to nearly a month later, how is it perfectly preserved, those footprints that they can tell it was made in so- with socks? But if there's no like traffic, there's no other people, footprints are going to remain. Yeah, but they would have still had to possibly some, if some snow is blown over, they're still going to have to unearth a bit of that to discover True. those footprints. True. And how do they do that without disrupting or damaging them? That's, that's, that's what very, I'm thinking anyway. That's very good points. Um, okay, where the tree... 
The branches of the tree were broken up to five meters high, suggesting that one of the skiers had climbed up to maybe look for camp, or I thought maybe running or hiding from something. Possibly. Maybe. Or just breaking the branches with the fire. Yep, also possible. Three bodies were then discovered in between the campsite and the trees. They were Dyatlov, Kolmogorov, (laughs) Slobobinin, (laughs) (laughs) who died in poses suggested they were attempting to return to the tent. They were found at distances of 300, 480 and 630 metres away from the tree. Right, okay. So it's like they were with the other two and then tried to walk back to the camp. Finding the remaining four group members took more than two months. They were finally found on the 4th of May under four metres of snow in a ravine further into the woods from the pine tree. Three of the four were better dressed than the others. There were signs that some of the clothing of those who had died first had been removed and used by the others. So that might be why they were, some of them were naked. Oh, right, okay. So the others are stripped them to keep themselves warm. Possibility. Or it goes back to my friend's theory of that they were having sex. I don't see how the having sex <laughs> theory not, fits, no. in, fits in with us. I'm still not following that no, one. No, me neither. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> the Benina was wearing Kravishenko's cr- cr- burned, torn trousers and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. So she sustained an injury. Yes. An examination of the four final bodies found in May shifted the narrative of the incident and the causes of death. One victim had a fractured skull, one had a cr- one had crushed ribs, and Dubonina had crushed ribs and her tongue was missing. Oh, could that have been ripped out by an animal after death, though? You know, like a foraging sort of animal. Yes, that is one of the theories, but it's also another theory. Dubonina, who was wearing the clothes of the other group member, was found to who was found by the trees. These clothes were tested and turns out these were apparently radioactive. Oh, okay. In fact, there was reportedly tiny traces of radiation around the campsite and the areas where the other bodies were found as well. And this is after they've deviated off the path. The bit where they've been found, is this uh, off from the trail they were originally given? Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes. The initial speculation that indigenous Manzi people, reindeer herders local to the area, had attacked them and murdered the group for encroaching upon their lands. Okay. So several of the Manzi were interrogated, but the investigation indicated the nature of the deaths did not support this hypothesis. Only the hikers' footprints were visible and there were showed no signs of struggle. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, where would the attackers' footprints be? Mm -hmm. But again, I'm still a bit iffy about those footprints in the first place. I'm not going to lie. But snow preserves I... footprints, though. We've seen snow. Yeah, it does. But not for that period of time, I don't think. I don't understand how... For me, if there was snow in other parts, it obviously means it's been more snow after the death in order to cover the bodies, which means, to me, I don't understand how none of those footprints couldn't have been covered. And therefore, to uncover them, they would have to disturb the area. And if they've disturbed the area, how do we not know that they've actually ruined or... You know, like, yeah. interfered with the footprints. True. Or that someone else hasn't made the footprints afterwards. How to can... Because I feel like at that time, there would it's not like today where you get so many different brands of things and there's a much more individual footprint. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that equipment would have been very similar. So how can they definitively say it was belonged to them? True, that makes sense. And also, there's no, like, outwardly 
injuries. So all these injuries were found after they've been autopsied. Right, okay. Because some of them, to me, like the cracked skull, you could say that was from a fall, like the trip stumbled. If they're on a mountainside, it's not implausible to think they've tripped, fallen, whacked the head on a rock. Yeah. Because then that, that yeah. would leave proof. Okay. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying with the snow. Yeah. I, I'm just a bit iffy about those footprints. It's not conclusive enough for me, I don't think. This is why it, I'm saying it's solved slash unsolved. Okay. All four bodies found at the bottom of the creek were in a running stream of water, so they had soft tissue damage to their head and face. For example, the missing tongue. Okay. Further investigation found that her eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissues and a fragment of school bone, while another person had their eyeballs missing. That sounds like foraging animals to me. Mm-hmm. And someone had their eyebrows missing. Yeah, but if an animal's tried to tear apart to get to another bit, that's still plausible that that could happen, I feel. Yeah, so this is what the a forensic expert performing the post-mortem examination judged that these happened post-mortem and was probably from the river slash the foraging am- animals. Yeah, because if that's where water is, that's naturally where you're going to find animals, isn't it? They're going to go to where running water is. Yeah, obviously. And then that should explain, yeah, everything that's missing. Okay. But the rest of the injuries caused to the bodies were unusual. There was no outward trauma, so the crushed bones, fractured skulls weren't obvious to the until the autopsies. Okay. It was determined the force was too strong for a human to cause. Okay. Okay. There's a theory as to why, which to me is plausible, but it's also, I, it's just, there's weird things. Okay. I'll let you carry on. Other strange details about this case. Obviously, the tent was ripped open from the inside. What would cause them to run from the tent and, like, cut open their one shelter? What would cause them to run? Unless, like, a... I don't know how it's fastened. Is it fastened with some sort of zip or something? You know, if they... Like, I imagine, like, you know, if the zip's got a bit jarred and, like, I don't know, heard a scream or something. They go through as if it's a bit jarred. You think, oh, I've got to get out quick. You rip it to go and see... True. ...what it is. You know, someone says, like, come quickly, sort of thing and like I said it's jammed you can't get out quickly because you don't know what the danger is if no one immediately says what that danger is you're going to do what is the quickest so you're thinking one of the group members is outside the tent screaming. yeah because mm. if that goes back to the other ones maybe sustained a head injury one's fallen and everyone's quick come everyone else I something think... jars and undo- I'm not saying that that's what it is but in my head I'm sort of going with that's a possibility I think they might still have some kind of calmness to that they're not going to okay. be like rip open the tent are they they're not going to cut open unless their it's one... in a panic if the other person hasn't said why they need to come quickly if how do you know that the person that's ripped it open isn't doesn't, is not like very anxiety based if you like in a, in a bit of a panic true you'd be like for god's sake we need that <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe i don't know um yeah because why would they leave the tent barefoot as well in a hurry yeah but why I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It goes back. I feel like there was an emergency, like something yeah. suddenly happened. Uh, yeah, exposing themselves most likely to certain death in those minus temperatures. Why would they do that? But then again, if you go back to the idea that there's a possibility that someone has stumbled or fallen, sustained an injury, what does everyone actually do? You quickly go to that person's age. You're not necessarily thinking about how you're dressed, what's the most appropriate thing. Your your immediate concern is the other person. True. But because we don't know what danger was awaiting, it could have been. Um, because you don't know how it started, you don't know what caused them to initially leave. But I feel like there might have been some sort of emergency. Mm. Oh, yeah, there's definitely some kind of emergency yeah. if they're willing to cut open their tent and then run for their lives yeah. in a state of undress. And, like, why would you 
not wear clothes. But then is it a state of undress? Because you were saying later it's possible that one removed the clothing from another. So did they leave in a state of undress? The footprints leading from the tent. Oh, yeah, okay, that one was in socks. But then again, I'm still a bit iffy about the footprints, so (laughs) I'm not convinced, I'll be honest. Okay, so we're nearly at some theories, so I'll continue. A 12-year-old boy who, at the time, was Yuri... His name begins with Kunt. (laughs) (laughs) Just go with the first name. Yuri Kuntshevich, who later became the head of a... Dyatlov Foundation attended five of the hikers' funeral when he was 12. Okay. He recalled that their skin had a deep brown tan. Which... Mm, they so it's think, open casket. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if you're up a mountain, you're exposed to sunlight, you're going to get a tan. Yeah. It, yeah. So Even if it's, like, a sort of wind burns. Yeah. Of. And so, you think by now they are starting to decompose. True. They're not going to look like, like they've just died, are they? So... When he was 12, he thought this was so uh, But then is that strange. a 12-year-old... It's just, yeah, yeah. He's ima- not imagined it, but he sort of elaborated on the actual truth. Another group of hikers about 31 miles south of the incident reported that they saw strange orange spheres in the sky to the north of on the night of the incident. Similar f- spheres were observed in Ivdel, adjacent areas, and continuously during the period from February to March that year. They're not going to claim aliens, are they? (laughs) You have not researched this at all. So yeah, there's supposed to be various independent witnesses to these spheres, including including meteorological service and the military. These sightings were not noted in 1959 in the investigation, the witnesses only came forward years later. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, I'm already a bit iffy about that. So, the theories as to what might happen, and I'm going to quote an article by from Vox. Okay, it could have been a delayed slab avalanche. Okay. Oh, so possibly running away from it? Yeah, so the hikers dug a platform into the slope of the mountain to pitch their tent. A scientific model published in January of 2021 demonstrates this combined with the strong downslope winds that accumulated snow above the tent triggered a deadly slab avalanche okay this type of avalanche can occur even in places not known for avalanches it can cause injuries consistent with those some of those that were sustained by the hikers crushing isn't it the crushing motion oh it could also have been something called a catabatic wind powerful wind that travels down a mountain slope picking up speed under the force of gravity in this scenario a strong wind can become near hurricane level very suddenly if this happened the night of the incident it could explain why the hikers would have abandoned their tent so quickly as the powerful wind would potentially tear the tent apart the mysterious internal injuries that some sustained are explained by the snow den the hikers dug for the shelter and then that collapsing on them. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so then they could have gone towards the trees for a bit more shelter. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm following so that. Both theories offer potential solutions what drove the hikers suddenly to abandon their tent. I think they're both quite plausible. Exactly. Ultimately, ultimately though, since there was no survivors, many questioned the surrounding, this surrounding the case. Yeah, but if it's happened so quickly... Yeah, which is why I say it's solved... But not solved. But solved. Okay. Because there's no survivors. You can't say, yeah, this happened, this didn't happen. Yeah. 
and then obviously I spoke about the paradoxical undress earlier and that's the yeah of course you're gonna yeah that's gonna happen it happens all the time but then again if you mentioned about another one was wearing the other one's clothing there's also that possibility that they might not have died immediately have tried to escape yeah removed the clothing of others to keep themselves extra warm mm-hmm. better prepare themselves for their escape yeah. if you see what i mean yeah so they've still made an attempt to leave and they think well okay i'm not suitably dressed myself we'll remove the clothing of the nearest person become suitably dressed so i can make my escape in order to get help yeah maybe yeah exactly I'm going to go with that one. I think exactly. that's plausible. Another theory is aliens. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> because of the lights that were reportedly seen. But that's all I have. But could that not have been either a flare or something similar to northern lights? But but there's another theory linked right, to that. Okay. Another theory linked to aliens is a Soviet missile is what caused the death of some of the victims. Right, okay. Which explains the lights. Yes. A doctor... On the autopsy team theorised an explosion could have caused some of the injuries. However, no evidence of an explosion was yeah, ever found. Yeah, you would expect to find fragments of something, wouldn't you? Exactly. But then was it buried in the snow? I suppose you could argue that. True. And then that might explain for the radiation that was detected. It would, actually. But then again, there's some but reports... But was it already quite radioactive before and that's why they'd avoid... And not allowed the trail to be there in the first place. You mentioned about the military. Is that why they set trails mm. so that people didn't deviate from them because certain areas were more radioactive than others? Well, there's some theories that suggest that there was no radiation at all. Right, okay. So there's some... But then is that the military trying to cover it up? And being it, it being Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're not trusting. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> there's another theory, and it's my favourite. A Yeti did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I really like that. <laughs> there's no evidence, there's no evidence Yetis exist, there's no evidence of a Yeti being there. Maybe the Yeti drove them from the tent, that's why they ran away, cut. They heard a Yeti. <laughs> they heard a Yeti roar if they roar. <laughs> I do really like that. Theory. The only thing I would question was... Why did they attack them in the first place? But also a Yeti, like, I know it's supposed to be part human. But at the same time, I also think part animal would, I feel like they would have attacked for food. In which case, why was their remains? Like, why didn't they take the rest of them with them? Do you see what I mean? They took the tongue. But they're they're not that hungry afterwards. (laughs) You weren't that tasty. Yeah, they didn't taste that nice. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) And there's no evidence of... um, giant footprints in the snow well yeah but only the ones in the socks so yeah a, a yeti is my favorite it's funny but... it's funny because i don't believe it but yeah yeti was my favorite because i don't believe it at all yeah no i, I like that it's just a random one throwing that it's a good one so that's all the theories for dyatlov pass the most popular theory is aliens but uh, no, I, I, don't no, like I don't like i don't like aliens being the most popular uh I don't think we're alone in the universe, but I don't think aliens no. decided to come. Because why would they leave them? Yeah. Why didn't they either leave another sign or zap them back up into their little spaceship? I think it's just because it's the tongue. I think it's the problem. It's the yeah, but slab. to me, an, a wild animal taking the tongue exactly. is far more plausible than an alien. Exactly. I think it's just the slab and the catabatic winds, and I think that's what I like, it was. Yeah, that more recent research to me seems far more plausible. That mixed with, like I said, because that would also go back to explain why suddenly ripping a tent open, you've yep. got to make a quick escape. Exactly. Yeah, and you're heading maybe to where there's a tree line because you feel like that might be a bit more stable. Mm-hmm. 
So you're heading that way. Because they might have already, the two that were found nearest to those trees might have already been nearer. Yeah. And they maybe shouted towards it. I don't know whether the voice would have carried that far, but the others are like, quick, like, we've got to go, there's an avalanche. Because I, I imagine as well, avalanches are quite loud. Like some of them, if it's if it started from maybe significantly higher above, some of them, you know that crashing yeah. sound. I imagine in my head. I don't know if it's because I'm also like imagining like an iceberg crashing down into the sea, but when I, I imagine watched... snow falling, it still yeah. makes quite a significant noise. When I watched the uh, Vox video, the way the slab avalanche it moves silently. I th- oh, that's okay. that's how I. That's how so I'm remembering it. So it's more a visual thing yeah. than an audio. So it's, it, yeah, I think they probably noticed that the tent's being crushed. So then they've got to cut their way out. Yeah, quick. And then the, that's why they're running half naked, separated, might yeah. find each other, take the dead people's clothes. And then, yeah. Okay. So I feel like initially, I don't think they all died at the same time. No, I, I think don't think they did. some might have possibly survived with injuries. Yeah. Try to make their escape, which to me explains the lack of clothing on some of them. Yeah. They took those clothes in aid to go and like make them escape, try and get help. Yeah. But maybe the injuries were a lot more severe. Because you know, like adrenaline wise or oh, shock, yeah, yeah, yeah. it allows you to keep moving. And actually, it, it was far worse. Their injuries were far more significant than they realised and they just didn't make it that much further. Yeah. Especially when they think they've probably like survived. So then they've got that keeping them going. And then it's like, they see someone die. Yeah. That's going to drain them. Yeah. Because all you've got to take is, even when that water is, what, they've ran to that distance, make a getaway, they've hit some water, right, okay, how are we getting across this? I don't know how deep or wide that is. No. I but even know. some water, they're thinking, right, I've got to make a quick getaway. We're not just running, are we? No. It's, you've either they're got in to the jump over nowhere. the water yeah. or swim through it or... Yeah, they're in the middle of nowhere. They can't, they're miles They don't know anyone. the bearings. They've already no. lost track. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like the avalanche for me is the most plausible yeah. theory. Yeah, because... Yeah, that's the one I completely agree with as well. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. But I still think one. it's unsolved. It is to a degree because yeah. it's... There's no proof that that's what happened. Yeah. For me, I'm still really iffy about those footprints. I, I don't like. I don't understand <laughs> how they came up with that information. I, I'm questioning that. Yeah. I feel like I need to just throw that out completely. And I think you're right. Of, yeah. I feel like that's something that someone else added in as a bit of extra detail, like someone exaggerated on a bit. Oh, you mean like after the fact there was aliens in the sky? Yes, it was an alien footprint. It might be. We don't know that. Oh, yeah, true. Mm. Explains the radiation. So, yeah, that's Dyatlov Pass. So it's going to be your case next week. Yeah, so now that we've done your case, Mm -hmm. we'll release mine next week. Yeah. It's still case number three for me. So Amelia's case three. Yes. So yeah, if just let us know what you think of one episode a week or two cases in two separate episodes weekly. Yeah, I think I think that's the way going. I forward. think that will be the way going forward. But obviously, for the purpose of this, we'll just this week and next week we'll yeah. release our case three separately and yeah. just one in the week, um, yeah. and see how that goes. Yeah. So thank you for listening. In the meantime, keep creeping, and we'll keep digging. Bye. <laughs>